The common room was packed and noisy. Everyone was eating the food that had been sent up. Hermione, however, stood alone by the door, waiting for them. There was a very embarrassed pause. Then, none of them looking at each other, they all said thanks and hurried off to get plates. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. Chapter 10, Halloween. At breakfast on Halloween morning, Harry is happily munching through a plate of bacon when six large screech owls drop an even larger parcel in front of him. It's Harry's new broomstick, and not just any broomstick, a Nimbus 2000 to be exact, which puts even shit-talking rich kid Malfoy to shame. As the youngest Quidditch player in a century, Harry is determined to master this strange and violent wizard sport, no matter the effort. But Harry's dreams of Quidditch glory are put on hold when, on Halloween night, a 12-foot mountain troll breaks into the school. Harry and Ron are safe, but soon realize that their know-it-all classmate Hermione is in grave danger. With all the stupidity and, yes, some bravery they can muster, the boys rush towards danger to save Hermione and are rewarded with her bravery in return. And so on one wild Halloween night, a friendship that will one day save the world is formed. Are you guys ready to get started? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Doing well. A resounding, just fine. <laughs> Much like the rest of the world right now. I'm here. I'm your host, Christina, recording from home. And what I want to hear from you guys today is what position would you like to play on a Quidditch team? So I would probably play a beater just because I have terrible hand-eye coordination. So if you're a beater, at least it mostly affects only you if you really suck at throwing and catching. I'm Mary Payton, and I would probably be a seeker because even though I'm an introvert at heart, I'm also, I would love to be the star of the show, like secretly, like kind of behind the scenes star of the show. And I feel like a seeker captures all of that for me. I specifically asked Mary Payton to come on this episode which is titled Halloween because her birthday's Halloween and she is a real for real witch bitch that's right Halloween baby or as my British book calls it Halloween beautiful there's there's an apostrophe in it all right and uh I'm Andrew and I think I would be a keeper I think I would be like a guy that you wouldn't be happy that I'm there but I would work well like 
I would block the shots, but most of them would not be like graceful catches. It would just be getting myself in front of the ball with enough time to like fumble it and still catch it. And I can't throw really well, so it wouldn't be a graceful handoff. It wouldn't be good. Let's just say that. You'd be, be a serviceable keeper. That's exactly. all you need. Exactly. That's all you yeah. need. That is all you need. What's everyone drinking today? I got some lager from Aldi, which means it only costs $6 for a six-pack. For anyone who hasn't been to Aldi, it's like going into an alternate dimension where all of the brands look familiar, but upon closer inspection, they are not. But they're cheap. But they're cheap. And tonight, I am drinking a delicious IPA by Sweetwater called 420 Strain. Mm. So it's Fantastic. got some, uh, some very... Uh... Uh-huh. I forgot Sound the it word. out. <laughs> Earthy tones. Some happy notes. It smells like weed. Is that what you're trying to say? It smells exactly like weed. That's, really? It, yes. My husband and I love it. It's, I think, his favorite beer. But we also picked it out because we live in Virginia. And I don't know if you guys have been following what our peak um, COVID time is supposed to be in Virginia as a state. It was May 25th or something like that as of last week. As of this week, it's projected to be April 20th, 420. Oh, that's fun. Stay inside, smoke some weed. Right. And then the next day, everything's over. So (laughs) it'll be completely over. No. Okay. You heard it. You heard it here first. (laughs) We're doctors. No, no, no. Please no one do that. Please no one do that. Still stay inside for a while. Um, I myself, I I took a, I took a page out of Mary Payton's playbook here and I decided to create my own beverage of choice. So I'm calling it the Halloween mask. Oh, nice. Yes, yes. And what it is, is it's Bud Light Seltzer, which is Bud Light pretending to not be Bud Light. So it is uh, wearing a mask of sorts. Oh, how (laughs) many grams of sugar? Actually, not that bad. Sugar and carbs, it's super low. It's the quarantine. Um, There are no rules. Okay. (laughs) I keep like a close, I have like a mental spreadsheet of all of the different seltzers and their nutritional facts. Um, So far, I think the Corona brand one is the best for you. I mean, the least bad for you, the Corona brand Mm -hmm. seltzer. A final note about my drink, the koozie I'm using, this is very important, features my best good buddy, Drew, laying with his shirt off in a wheelbarrow at a pumpkin patch. (laughs) And I thought that was appropriate for Halloween. So a lot goes on in this chapter. Um, it's kind of in two halves. The first half is Harry learning about Quidditch, and which is kind of boring for someone who's really familiar with the world already. And then the second half is Halloween. So we can start with Quidditch. And one thing I was thinking about while reading this chapter, I wear glasses and I have worn glasses since I was three years old. So that's at least 25 years since I've been a slave to these things. <laughs> and I can't see yo like I that's why I wear glasses <laughs> I from my perspective of having like terrible astigmatism I feel that it's unlikely that Harry needs his glasses so badly and can also serve as the seeker of a Quidditch team Mary Payton you wear glasses what do you make of that I agree I actually thought about that while reading it um and thought about well maybe he uses goggles but no I feel like the Wizarding World would not do that. You know, as a glasses wearer, anytime that you have to use your peripheral vision, it's just chaos over there. So Yeah, it could be anything. Yeah. Well, I think it's a common trope on the internet that people talk about 
the wizarding world has all these crazy medical advances with you know being able to regrow bones, but they can't fix eyesight. Mm-hmm. Like it just seems weird that with all the stuff they've done, it's like, well, we don't touch the eyes. Okay, like <laughs> regrow yeah. bone, no problem. You have some crazy illness, we'll take care of that. But eyesight, that's the way it's meant to be. Well, maybe it's like LASIK in the muggle world where it's like, it's a possibility, but you have to really want it. You have to kind of suffer so that you understand like the really incredible thing that you're going to get done um, as a gift for your high school graduation. So you can go to college and be a cool girl. Right. I feel like it's drawing from something personal. (laughs) (laughs) You want to hear my personal story? I'm just going to tell it real quick. My eyesight is so damn bad that it is against FDA regulations to perform LASIK on me. Yeah, I tried. Wow. Good Lord. Yeah. You've been, you've been burned, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that does, that does open up a lot of questions about how much magic in this world can change your physical appearance and stuff with your body. Because like how many of them then would possibly do quote-unquote plastic surgery but with magic so interesting about that that's something that they like never really talk about it's all well besides like reconstructive well yeah but tonks is a oh my god that's a word i can't pronounce metamorphmagus metamorphmagus a metamorphmagus (laughs) metamorphmagus all right we'll get to that in four books yeah (laughs) can you guys believe how far into this book we are right now I really can't. I was. I, I feel like nothing's happened. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, that's how I feel like. That's how the first like three books are, where it's a lot of kind of nothing until the very end. Slow build. Yeah, and then the rest, like four through seven, are all a slow build up until the very end. Giant and dense. They're all giant and yes. they're all dense as shit. Which oh, was the it. most excited. exciting thing at like going to the um, book releases at midnight. Did y'all do that? It was just oh, yeah. the greatest time. And every time the books got thicker and thicker, it was just uh, magical. Let's start at the very beginning. Uh, yet another chapter where Harry starts out, first sentence talking shit about Malfoy. Um, <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Just can't stop thinking about him. I get it. That blonde hair slicked back. <laughs> We've all thought about I it. I mean, there, there, there <laughs> is an argument to be made that Harry is just an incredibly uh, uh, socially minded person who sees this guy who is the embodiment of everything that he isn't, or at least didn't think he was. He's all privilege and he's all wealth and he's all bloodline and all this stuff. And he treats other people like shit and Harry wants to stand up for him. But that argument does kind of fall apart when he treats Hermione like shit. So I think that the reality is that Malfoy just embodied everything that he hated in the Dursleys, everything that's pomp and circumstance and making things, drawing incredible conclusions off of things that people have no control over and judgment, really just judgment. And that is like all that Harry, I think, focuses on is the side of Malfoy that is so judgmental of other people. But of course, the irony in that is that Harry's being incredibly judgmental of him. Now, I wouldn't say it's for a bad reason, but you know, I think that's why he focuses on him so much is that Harry is so used to having these negative forces in his life that that's something that he instantly does. He instantly he identifies 
Right. He identifies that negative source in his life and Malfoy has become the only negative source. Yeah. And I feel like Harry through a lot of this is learning for the first time, like a kid, sort of his first social interactions really outside of the Dursleys. So he's had this family that's run everything for him his whole life and he hasn't really had any social interactions outside of it. And then suddenly he's thrown into this world without them where he has to figure it out himself. Um, and some of the first things he does, maybe automatically, I'm not sure why, but he stands up to Malfoy and gets really strong praise from his new friends for that, from Ron. His one new friend. His one new friend. A 100% growth from last <laughs> year. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, it kind of makes sense because earlier in the book, it talks about how even at school, people were so afraid to be his friend because of the repercussions from Dudley. And that's what Malfoy has become now is he's this bully that harry wants to stand up to and unlike when he was you know pre-hogwarts where if he stood up to dudley and even if he was somehow successful when he got home he would have hell to pay now there isn't any of that and i think this is what would happen if an 11 year old suddenly could stand up for themselves with really no repercussion he finally has the opportunity to make friends because he doesn't have this shadow looming over him that will prevent it. And I think that's probably part of the reason why as well that he is so aggressive towards hating Draco is because in his mind, whether he realizes it, Draco represents the force that is trying to prevent him from having friends just like Dudley was. Aw. Let's let's get into it. Harry gets a package at breakfast. What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, and I love the note from McGonagall, too. Do not open the parcel at the table. It contains um, your Nimbus 2000, but I wouldn't want everyone knowing you've got a broomstick or they'll all want one. What does she think is going to happen in the first Quidditch <laughs> match? Like, everyone's going to see it. Why, do you think that they're just going to think, well, he got the one good school broom. That's what he got. And also, who paid for this broom? <laughs> I think that he paid for it. But also, she says, let me talk to Dumbledore about getting you a broom. So who fucking knows? Also... I think it was pretty risky of her to put her do not open this parcel instructions in a card because if I thought I got a broom in the mail, like I'm opening that first. For sure. She's really lucky that Harry went for the card first and it says it was lucky. (laughs) It seems like the only way they wrap things is with brown paper that wraps around and shows the shape of anything that they wrap. (laughs) So she had to know that it would look exactly like a broom when it comes flying in. That happens in the film, right? Where it's like so obvious. Well, no, in the movie, don't they open it right there at the table? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it looks like 15 kids on it. She's the leader of Gryffindor House. And we know from future books that she will, at certain times, go into the common room. But why couldn't she just walk it up to him and be like, here, everyone in this room is going to know that you're getting a broom and that you're the seeker anyways. Why don't I just give it to you here instead of, I don't know, having it mailed where (laughs) everyone will see that you're being mailed a broom? It's not like this mail is from the manufacturer or the broom distributor because it has an accompanying note. It did come directly from McGonagall. There's a lot of um, plot holes here. She definitely does have access to the Gryffindor common room. She doesn't make a habit of going there. I think it's in The Prisoner of Azkaban where she shows up in her like nightgown and her slippers and people are like, this is fucking weird. You need to go back to bed, please. <laughs> I feel like she is, she's got like a silent pettiness to her, like a, a strong pettiness. 
because maybe she said this kind of on purpose at that time and says like, definitely don't open it. We don't want people to know about it. But really, she kind of does want people <laughs> to know about it. Well, well good, because he immediately brags about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, And I think there's a lot to support that because McGonagall's a smart lady and, quote, everyone's attention was caught at once by a long, thin package carried by six large screech owls. There's a <laughs> you could have been less conspicuous. Like, <laughs> really? All right, so... TLDR, there were better ways to do this <laughs> on McGonagall's part. <laughs> but the point of the matter is that our boy gets a broomstick. He's almost never had possessions before, and now he has a prized possession, yeah? Yeah, he gets a nicer broom than even Malfoy has. And Malfoy, I'm sure, is the nicest of everything. You know, reading this as an adult, a lot of rules get broken for this kid. Starting right now with something that isn't even a Voldemort life or death type situation. It's like, this is for no fucking reason. You'd think that if they had that rule, the no first years, that means there have been first years that are that would be really good. And Yeah, who got fucked? Right. So I, I understand that the point is to show that Harry is, has shown this exceptional skill. But you would think there would have been first years that also had exceptional skills that they did not break that rule for. And like, how mad would you be if you're a third year and you had to wait, even though you were so good? Just let me on varsity, coach. I swear I can do it. (laughs) Right. This opens up a door that I think would be interesting for us to consider going forward with this podcast, which is... This is the first example of many that we will see in this series where Harry, who is like almost like a, a wizarding version, version of a child actor who constantly is able to get away with things that no other person could get away with. That's like that just, uh, white male privilege right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Harry, your privilege is showing. It's okay. He's been abused for 11 years. He's allowed to have a little bit of privilege for now. See, but, but remember, no one else at Hogwarts knows about that. It's not until he starts telling yeah. them And that's much later on that he really explains how bad his home life is. I don't think the general public knows at all, except for in the context of them being muggles, right? So like, oh, poor Harry had to go live with those idiot fucking muggles, right? Mm. But it's like, and they were also terrible. Right. Poor little baby. So good for him. (laughs) He gets to play Quidditch. (laughs) So they have words. Malfoy's like, why aren't you in trouble? I sent you to your doom. And why do you have a broom? Basically, (laughs) it's Malfoy's like worst nightmare because his little midnight duel prank didn't work and Harry has been rewarded now. Oh, and then then Hermione comes and has Mm -hmm. her little sass. Yes, that's important. That's the thing is like Hermione is not wrong, right? Like Hermione's not wrong. Harry and Ron are being selfish. They're being stupid, and she can see that clearly, and they can't. And, I, and, like, I'm with her. But her problem is that she steps in where no, like, like right now, she sees that he has a broom, and she's like, well, I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking the rules? And it's like, that's just mean-spirited, you know? Yeah. I, I can understand her frustration, because you're right, she's not ever wrong like Malfoy brings things up to them in a similar way that she does but his is usually wrong his is just trying to start some shit and egg them on and hers is like you're actually gonna lose your entire house a whole bunch of points you're being really selfish 
so I understand her frustration that she keeps telling them these things and then they just get rewarded for them every time. Yeah, and she tries so hard to be good. Yeah. I've always gotten a feeling that throughout the series, Hermione is always wrong for the right reasons. And Harry is always right for the wrong reasons. Mm. Like Spew is a perfect example of this. Hermione is wrong because... (laughs) I, I know, I'm taking it there. Hermione is wrong because on some level, as awkward and as weird as it is, house elves as a majority want to have the role that they have. That is very explicitly stated in the books. It makes them happy. It brings them satisfaction. The problem is that Hermione is latching on to the idea that she feels that every creature capable of sentient thought wants to have freedom. And that's just not the case. She's wrong for the right reasons. Harry's right in that he doesn't think you should get involved, but it's for the wrong reasons. He's right because he's apathetic. He just, it's like, I don't want to open that can of worms. I don't want to go there. And that's why they make such a good team. Their friendship becomes such a, such a great balance, especially through the, the last few books where it gets so intense um, and they're on the woods together. You know, she is just constantly thinking things through. Sometimes maybe to a fault, she thinks things through and doesn't jump to conclusions and Harry is the very opposite and somehow they work together really well and like sort of rein each other in especially when it comes to Malfoy you know Harry's always ready to to say Malfoy is the one behind all of the evil in the world like he gets really intense about it and he ends up kind of being right but she helps rein him in she brings up the fact that maybe it's not Malfoy maybe it's his parents maybe it's the world he's raised in that's why it's so juicy in book three when she punches him in the face. I can't right. wait to read that. <laughs> Just punch him in the face because he was being a dick then. That's a fact, Hermione. She loves facts. <laughs> she does. She does indeed. <laughs> Science. So Ron and Harry take the opportunity to be a huge dick to Hermione. She's being a bitch to them. I get it. They're like, oh, hey, you could just keep fucking off. That would be really nice. <laughs> so she does. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then they, they open the broom. It's very exciting. He doesn't have any context, but it looks real good. Nimbus 2000. And as I know now as an adult, a Nimbus is a kind of cloud. <laughs> this broom will take you there. <laughs> and then he heads down to his first Quidditch training lesson, which is the beginning of an era. And I love this because you can tell that jk rowling just decided to create the most weird and zany game that she could imagine and then it kind of bit her in the ass because fans ended up loving the quidditch (laughs) scenes and she's on record saying that she hated writing them and i know the reason why is because there's only so much you can do with a guy chasing a ball while a bunch of other inane shit's going on off to the side but we love it. But it, it must be an absolute horror to try and write the story of a Quidditch match. Yeah, I agree. But I feel like she, I feel like she really finds her way to write about it when she writes through the announcer. Lee Jordan! Lee Jordan, Lee Jordan my, yes. My so baby. Funny. Yes. I think she, whenever she does that, whenever she writes through him, it's so good. because You know she can write some dialogue, especially some sassy dialogue. And he's just the epitome of that. So I feel like she probably found her way to write about it and still make it interesting in that way. Well, actually, we, we, Christina, you and I were both wrong because the absolute best Quidditch commentator that Hogwarts has ever seen was Luna Lovegood. I forget. I think I did this at work, maybe. I don't really remember. But at some point in the past eight weeks, I took a quiz about which two 
Harry Potter characters are you combined? So stupid. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I was Lee Jordan and Luna Lovegood. That's accurate. As <laughs> and I was, I was like, yeah, that's spot on. So accurate. <laughs> um, everyone out there listening, if you remember where or why I took that quiz, please let me know. Oh, I was going to ask you for the link. <laughs> I don't remember at all. Okay. Sounds like a BuzzFeed quiz to me. It does, it does. <laughs> so Oliver Wood, Dreamboat, teaches Harry all about the Quidditch, which, like, as a kid, I didn't notice this, but as an adult, all of the instances of glaring exposition are so glaring. Like, if we didn't need to know the rules to Quidditch, this scene wouldn't have been in the book. It would have been, like, Oliver Wood taught Harry a lot of things about Quidditch. But, like, there's, like, all these words to teach us, the reader, how to play Quidditch, because we're going to need that. We're going to the World Cup in three years. That's right. And it's all mixed in with this lovely bit of British dry humor, too. Like, when he's talking about the bludgers, and he says, have bludgers ever killed anyone? Never at Hogwarts. We've had a couple of broken jaws, but nothing worse than that. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, to just casually mention, yeah, in this school sport, you might get your jaw broken, but that's about it. That's all. To be fair, football? People get hurt. People get real hurt. I played football for 13 years, and besides a horribly undiagnosed case of CTE that I am sure I have, the worst thing besides that I ever saw was like a stinger. What is CTE? Isn't that that concussive brain? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure I'm going to be diagnosed with Oh, it's very bad, but (laughs) it's not... It's not as visual as a broken jaw. <laughs> we're laughing because we're uncomfortable. But she, <laughs> but she loves doing that kind of thing. I, you know, I don't know if it's a she or if it's a British humor thing or whatever, but in this wacky, like wacky is the best word for it. In this wacky wizarding world, there's a lot of casual uh, violence, I guess, uh, yeah. that happens and. Feel like it's just part of the game. Like they love watching these games where people could possibly um, disappear or get their bones crunched or be killed by a dragon. It's like a and these children, they're children, and they they love it. They just eat it up. It's like it's like I don't know Game of Thrones or something. It's wild. The human condition. Show us how bad we can be. Yeah, it's like anytime I read something where. It's in some sort of time period where people loved watching a good hanging. <laughs> or like a big they all hanging. go into town, right? To like watch yeah. the hanging. Yeah, yeah it's totally. like their big, their big entertainment for the time. And I'm like, I cannot imagine that. I would never be like that. I just don't get it. Or but like then, gladiator fights. <laughs> Classic. Then, like, I don't live in those times, so I don't really know for sure. Well, after, after Quidditch, we get to one of my favorite uh, parts of the book which is Professor Flickwick describing the importance of enunciating your spells. Iconic. Exactly. The, the swish and flick. Remember swish and flick. And saying the magic words properly is very important too. Never forget Wizard Barufio, who said S instead of F and found himself on the floor with a buffalo on his chest. I really wish I knew enough about Latin. I knew enough Latin to figure out what that word might be that he was trying to say that ended up being something about a buffalo. I think the joke was about his name, Barufio. Versus buffalo. But actually, there there wouldn't be a Latin word for buffalo because buffalo is a North American species. Oh, yeah, that's true. Wow. So many questions here. Yeah. 
Wizard Barufio, what happened to you? That's a sh- really Shakespearean name. Romeo, Mercutio, Barufio. <laughs> Wizard Barufio, what happened to you? I believe that's one of Shakespeare's lost sonnets. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we get our iconic Hermione. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Yeah, it, it is like, in, it doesn't show you how he is exactly fucking up. Because it says, Wingardium Leviosa, he shouted. So, like, that's the spell. I love the description right after that, though. He shouted, waving his long arms like a windmill. <laughs> that's the part that, like, I just like love. Like a windmill. Super gangly, too. He's just a <laughs> gangly 11-year-old kid. Takes up so much energy and space <laughs> to do that. Like, I hope they were standing, you know, or else that's just, like, real awkward. Hermione is probably just so done right now. I mean, like, imagine, think back. Think back to your high school, like, chemistry lab. So much trauma happened there. And, like, think about that one person who always says catty shit to you in the hallway. I don't know about y'all's high school experience, but I got catty shit said to me in the hallway because I was a fucking nerd. And then you get partnered with them for class. That's a nightmare, dude. And you're dumber than me. Fuck you. I'm trying to learn this spell. I feel like that would be especially frustrating in something like potions, where you're making the same potion in the same cauldron, and it, either you do all the work or you let the other person fuck it up. It's interesting living with a, an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. The stories they tell, I'm like, oh, man, been there been there like about (laughs) having to do all the work in a group project or you're like it never ends and now I work at a place where I do all the work (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) or about people like switching teams in their basketball in their gym class during basketball because they don't want to be on the same team as you I'm like oh girl I'm so sorry um it's gonna get better I promise (laughs) but like it doesn't get better you just care less um do you guys need to take a break before we get to okay (laughs) All right, I'll be right back. All right, I guess I'll go pee. Oh, man, I feel a lot better. What were we talking about before the break? Wait, yeah, where are we? Okay, so... We just talked about Leviosa, Leviosa. Yes, exactly. So then, and then Ron is nasty to Hermione again, and it's really wearing on her. And he says she must have realized she has no friends. She's a nightmare. No one can stand her. That's sad. She hears it. She's so new. She's really Mm -hmm. trying to prove herself. And he, Ron isn't, throughout the book, Ron is not the most empathetic character. Yeah, he's kind of oblivious. He's kind it's of almost like he. Go ahead. He has the emotional range of a teaspoon. Of a teaspoon. <laughs> Is that what you were gonna say? I was about to say it's almost like he has the emotional range of a teaspoon. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go to dinner. Hermione's so sad. Where is she? She skips class. Actually. Yeah, that's not good. That's crazy for her. you. Like knowing Hermione's character, it's like. It's two months into class, right? It's the first quarter, first semester. Mm-hmm. And that bitch is skipping class because she's so sad. Like, I think that there's a lot going on with Hermione that we can't see right now. I think Ron is just like the cherry on top. I think she's having a hard time. If you think about the other people who are 
the other girls who are in her class in her house right now, Lavender Brown, Parvati um, Patil, fucking um, Lavender. Who does Lavender come with? Oh, it's Brown. Lavender Parvati, right? Yeah. And who else is in? I don't know if there are too many other named Aren't people. Are there twins? That's Parvati and... Uh, Padma is in Ravenclaw. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, who the fuck else? There has to be other people. There are. I don't know if they're specifically... I don't name them. Named. This is oh. when we need Haley. Oh yeah, my god, it literally people. says that they're never named. How is that fucking possible? Oh, so, yeah. Hermione's having a fucking hard time. That's the point of the matter. I know I've said this before, but I think that this is a big piece that lends to my theory that Hermione was always the nerdy kind of social outcast. And I think that she thought when she goes to Hogwarts that it's going to be like a new opportunity for her. If she's anything like me, I would assume that these magical people that have access to this incredible knowledge that the vast majority of the planet doesn't would be scholarly people that would appreciate her. Of course, the reality is Mm. wizards have the same social dynamics and same traits that all of us do. It's just a smaller percentage of them. So she had this amazing opportunity where she thought everything was going to change. And immediately it was back to exactly the same place that she was at when she was in muggle schools. Ron and Harry, while not friends, she's had multiple interactions with them. She probably thought of them as at least cordial to her. And then to have one of those people call her a complete nightmare, I think that just cemented it. She was like, great. Also, Hermione has probably been taught manners in a way that neither Ron nor Harry has been. Ron, because he is the fifth child. Fifth or sixth? One, two, one, two. He's the fifth. Nope, he's the sixth. The sixth child. Twin, twin, Bill, Charlie, Percy. Yeah. Oh. I, f- I forget about Percy, too. Don't worry. So Hermione probably has manners. Like, you don't talk to that way to somebody because her parents have been raising her and just her. And Hermione also, she's got all of that happening in this new place where she also doesn't have any of her regular support system. So her parents, which are obviously a big part of her life, she's an only child. Even if those things happened in her muggle world, she at least could come home to her family. Yeah, that's a good point. And now she doesn't have that. Like I, when I went to college, my first semester and even maybe my first year was really hard. Yeah. And I did not think it would be, Uh, you know, I, I had never had issues with being away from home that much um, when I was younger. And then suddenly I did, I had a really hard time being away from home. And so she's got that coupled with the fact that she's only got these few people that could possibly be her friends and she's running out of it very quickly. That's a really good point. I definitely had a really similar experience where going to college was really hard. And Hermione's 11, you know, like when I went to week-long sleepaway Girl Scout camp when I was 11, that shit was hard. And wow, I got my first period at Girl Scout camp, yo. That shit was the worst, worst thing. Anyway. That's, is that getting cut? Only time for itself. No, that'd be terrible. Let's talk about that. It was a nightmare. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to sit back and shut up and let you all talk about that. <laughs> also, an important note is that Hermione comes from a world with telephones. And right. now she is not allowed to use a telephone. Wow. To call her mom and cry, yo. That yeah. sucks. She has to write a letter. She's got to let her little tears fall onto the letter. <laughs> Man. All the while, she's got to take that letter written on parchment with a quill. 
Sorry for this interjection, but I, I don't remember if we've discussed this on this podcast, but I have previously looked up what is the difference between parchment and paper, and parchment is animal skin. made from animal skin. Yeah. What the fuck? Weep her little tears onto but, her non-ethical parchment. <laughs> well, it, but even, even on top of that, it's everything is so different, and yet she feels exactly the same. She's writing it on parchment with a quill, attaching it to an owl, she is literally in a magical world, and yet she's still getting bullied and still doesn't have friends. So they hear that she's crying in the bathroom, and Ron is uncomfortable, which he stays that way for the rest of the series. Yes, he does. He Just a little confused and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what would make him no less uncomfortable, in my opinion at least, is walking into the Great Hall, about to have a feast, and have thousands of live bats flying around while you're trying to eat one of my favorite podcasts is ologies by ali ward where she talks about talks to different ologists about their areas of expertise and i was just listening to one today about bats and the bat expert's name his first name was merlin dude yeah he was really cool he was a badass so i'm really i'm really ready to accept some bats into my life right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and bats, bats are definitely just flying puppies. They're super cute when you see them, but I can't imagine it being a ideal sanitary situation to have thousands of bats flying around over your food. So it's really like any animal flying right. on or near your food. It's like not that they're bats. They could be hummingbirds and it still would be a little, they're pooping. I just, oh, yeah. like they're, they're, they're pooping in flight. <laughs> I just love how Hogwarts goes all out for the holidays and that Halloween counts as one of them as a child from Catholic school where we Mm. did not celebrate Halloween. It wasn't one of those crazy Catholic schools that you see in a movie or anything like that. They were super sweet and understanding and some of the best teachers of my life, but we definitely didn't celebrate Halloween, but I just, I, I love that. Like they, they go out for all these holidays. And to me as a Catholic school kid, the fact that they go in and it's the same amount of all out for Halloween, just, made me stoked reading these as a kid well and you you know it's Hagrid yeah we get to witness him set up for Christmas well it just based on his character I could totally see Dumbledore being the influence though because Dumbledore seems like the type of guy that if you give him a reason to throw a magnificent feast with crazy decorations he's gonna go for it we have said before that Dumbledore loves a party so they go into the feast and immediately your boy Coral runs in Troll in the dungeon. Thought you ought to know. Is anyone else like these kinds of lines? I can't read without the movie in my head. I was thinking about there are definitely a lot of lines in this chapter alone where the movies made them even more iconic. I think it's it is a testament to J.K. and how she writes dialogue, but also to this. I guess to this movie, if not all the movies, with how they knew what lines would really stick. I think it's like way more with this first book. It gets less every book because it's so dense and you have to take, you know, by the time they get to book seven, you have to take like 50 pages worth of text and wrap it into like one conversation in the film. So like totally understandable. But yeah, definitely a lot of points in this book specifically. I'm like, dang, that's exactly how it goes in the movies too. So he lets the troll in as a diversion. So I guess this is still part of his diversion. The fact that he really irresponsibly runs into the Great Hall and screams it to the entire school. 
And I forgot, actually, we've been talking about Coral so much and um, his stutter and the fact that he's really seems ill-equipped as a teacher of defense against the dark arts. And then I got to this chapter and I was like, duh, I completely forgot about the fact that he's, he's playing a part through this whole thing. I, I cannot believe I forgot that rereading this um, because we get to this part and he's like so afraid of the troll. And then I was like, but he let the troll in. So obviously he's playing this part stutter and nervousness and fear all fate. Well, and it's, it's even deeper than that. The nervousness is part of it definitely because it says that he sunk to the floor in a dead faint. The reason he did that is because everyone's going to clear out and not give a second thought to the guy who's just passed out on the floor, which then means he has every ability to go to the third floor and do what he's trying to do. Do you guys remember in the movie when Ron has like a turkey leg and he like stands up and he's like, ah, 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 with his like turkey leg? Yes. Um, where does Quirrell get a troll from? He's got a you troll know. guy. <laughs> the troll guy. It's like Hagrid's dragon guy. It's Voldemort. Yeah. It's always Voldemort. <laughs> Interesting. So Percy was in his element. Follow me. First year, stick together. I'm in charge. (laughs) I love that he says, no need to fear the troll if you follow my orders. Like really, really create some fear into. If you don't listen, the troll will eat you. Mm -hmm. How about that? Let's be honest. (laughs) Of all, not just the Weasley brothers, of the entire Weasley family, Percy is the one I would least want to have to trust in a situation with the troll. For sure. Like, okay. Give me either of the twins. They're going to find something creative. Give me Charlie. He's going to go Charlie. I'll take Arthur Weasley. He'll probably run it over in a car. Like, okay. Every one of them is going to do something better. Let's rank the Weasleys in order of who you would want with you in a fight. But <laughs> let's let them be fully. We're not taking 11-year-old Ginny. We're doing fully formed adult Ginny. And is this a fight with a human? Let's say it's a troll. Do the parents count? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, either way, first has to be Charlie. I agree. If he's used to fighting dragons, he's going to be able to, like, tame a troll. I agree. Right? Completely. And I think he's cute. Just in my brain, he's always been really cute. Yeah, for sure. Older brother, you know. I think Bill would be my number two. Curse breaker for Gringotts. Like, he knows magic. That's true. And you know if he's going to Egypt trying to break curses, he encounters some beasts. Yeah, he's, he's seen some shit. I don't know. I think Molly might be my number two. Before Arthur? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because he would be like, well, let's not be too hasty. Wait, is Arthur Weasley an ent? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think, I think ultimately Arthur would fall a little bit further down my list because he would get you out of the situation, but he would get you out of it by saying, obviously, we need to get away. He's like a flight, not fight. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so first, I think we're agreed would be Charlie. Charlie. Second would be either Bill or Molly. I would have yeah. them on the same tier. Not my yeah. son, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Not my many sons, you bitch. I wonder if she would have delivered that line for one of her sons mm-hmm. rather than her only daughter, you know? Interesting. I think third tier for my list at least, and y'all can agree or disagree, I would have the twins and Ginny on the same tier. Ginny gets really good. Yeah. She does, but the reason that I would rank the twins high is I 
constantly when reading Harry Potter can't help but think that one of the things that Muggleborns have a huge advantage of in any sort of combat is creativity because wizards would think of their magic as a tool, whereas Muggleborns would think of it as magic. So like the ideas of how to use the magic, I think someone approaching it from outside the system would be way more creative with it. Like how Harry uses his wand and sticks it up the troll's nose. (laughs) That's not magic. (laughs) The reason that I would put Ginny below that tier is because while she is very proficient, her go-to spell is the bat bogey hex. Even in like book six and seven, she's noted for using that spell. Like she's very good at it. And it works very well. Yeah, we don't get to see her true potential as an adult. All she does as an adult is marry Harry Potter, which is like, that sounds fun. But like, what else can you do? She can have kids. Oh, (laughs) it's like the worst thing you could do. (laughs) Name it Albus. So the bottom of the list is Percy. Is the person who is one above Percy, Ron? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And everyone else is kind of just in there. And that's probably that's probably because we see the full human side of Ron. Yeah. And we get to we see him see, fail a lot. Like our whole really vision of him is growing into a wizard. So and we don't really see him after that as an adult. So we we see a lot of goofing off and a lot of being an idiot. Charlie was probably an idiot for a while too, but we didn't see that. He's just great. So Charlie, show me how you <laughs> handle them dragons. That's right. Take me on a ride. Dragon rider. On a dragon. Okay, cool. So Harry and Ron are very responsibly heading back to their dormitory, being shepherded by Percy Weasley, top-notch prefect on the case. Except, where's Hermione? Who's looking out for Hermione? Harry Potter is, that's who. And it starts this wonderful trend of Harry's to quote Ron Weasley, you kind of have a hero thing. (laughs) And this is where we first see it. There have been little kind of smitterings before this where Harry like is quick to try and interfere with Draco and stuff. But this is the first time that Harry has a truly altruistic, I've got to do this because it's the right thing to do motivation. And he fucking acts, boy. Like, he does not hesitate. Yeah, if I had been Ron, I probably would have said, you know what, you're right. Hermione's in the bathroom and she doesn't know about the troll, but she's probably really safe in there. And I think we should all get to safety. Along the way, maybe we should tell Percy about this. And Percy can tell a teacher to go get her. That's what I would have done. If in this world we had cell phones, then yes. That would be an easy choice to make. I'll be like, I'm just going to call for help quickly. But at this time, Percy is going to have to lead the first years to the Gryffindor Tower and then go to help. The fact that the troll goes into the same fucking bathroom that Hermione is in is so unlikely, you know? Yeah, I would have been like, right. she's fine. She's fine in the bathroom. She's safe in there. I don't even feel like a troll can fit through a real door. You've never know, seen just, a highly motivated troll. I, I just still feel like if, if my people were being ushered into one place, everyone was ushered into all their houses, and then... I knew one person was still wandering and not knowing about this troll. I think I'd go find them. And I'm not, I'm definitely not a Gryffindor. That's for sure. The other thing though is remember, this is just two months removed from the previous chapter where Ron told Harry, more than likely you're just going to shoot sparks at each other. 
Yep. Like they know they don't know shit. Yeah. Not only do they try and find her, but Ron says, oh, all right, he snapped, but Percy better not see us. Like, what's their plan? They don't well, have a plan. They're 11 years old, but still. Ron thinks Percy's useless, and that's a brother thing. He's not as useless as Ron thinks he is. <laughs> and the, one of my favorite, like, just like the most perfectly summarizing lines about Ron and Harry and why they become fast friends is at the very beginning of this chapter. Indeed, by the next morning, it's after they met the three-headed dog. Indeed, by the next morning, Harry and Ron thought that meeting the three-headed dog had been an excellent adventure, and they were quite keen to have another one. Fucking boys, dude. Just like their thing, like Hermione and Neville are done with it, but Ron and Harry, after they were terrorized and so scared and ran back to their room, they, the next morning, they're like, that wasn't that bad, actually. It was actually a really great time now that we're talking about it um, and pretending like they were really brave. Let's do it again. Christina, I, I've been looking forward to this moment, and I am so happy that I'm on this episode with you. And I think you might know what I'm leading up to, but after they lock her in the bathroom, we get a line that you and I have sent to each other many times over the years that we've known each other. And... This line perfectly summarizes the entire Harry Potter series. Harry then did something that was both very brave and very stupid. <laughs> yes, That yes. is the summarization of the Harry Potter series. Yes. They go, they go to the bathroom. They see the troll. They lock it in. Hermione's in there. They unlock it in. <laughs> <laughs> unlock it in. Get yourselves in there instead. Because y'all know what to do. You've been a wizard for two months. You got this. Harry then did something very brave and very stupid. And can I point out a little bit of what has to have been foreshadowing? As I've said before, I work at a gym. And one of the things that I have seen many, many times in my life is people doing box jumps. That troll is supposed to be 12 feet tall. Is a box jump where you jump onto a A box? box? Yes. Okay. Yes. Harry can't be, even if he was six feet tall, which we know he's not at this point, he's 11 years old, but even if he was six feet tall, you're still talking about at least four to five feet of vertical leap that he would have to get. What is it's, one of the only examples of previous unintentional magic that Harry has? Jumping oh, jumping onto, onto the roof. The roof. Mm-hmm. Because he needed to, and so now it's like to save a friend. He really wow. needed to. I don't know if that was intentional, but I do know that your average person, even with a run-up, could not jump and grab something that has to be 11 feet in the air, at least. And a run-up, so, that's when you, like, run up to something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's been yeah. a while since you've had some physical exertion, huh? <laughs> do you guys want to hear a story about how high I can jump? Yes. Ooh. You're supposed to say yes. Okay. Yes. So, in high school, I played volleyball. And I loved Ew. it. Oh. Oh my God. I loved it so much. <laughs> my coach for a while called me credit card because that's about the as high as I could jump was the, <laughs> the, the width, not even the, the height or the length, but the width of a credit card. Imagine wow. this is like, like this eager girl who like really wants to be on this team. And I'm just like, so stoked. I went to a ner- very nerdy high school. So I got to play a lot more sports than I normally would have in a regular high school. And he called me credit card. And I was like, what does that mean? And then he explained it. And my world was just crushed. Shattered. <laughs> Shattered. So the, the idea of jumping even four feet in the air 
would I can't even. I mean, volleyball, that shit's hard, yo. Yeah. So Harry jumps onto the troll. He jabs his wand up his nose. He doesn't even mean to. It just accidentally <laughs> happens. Which yeah. is crazy. heroics. So obviously he jumped high enough on there that he accidentally gets his arm all the way around the troll's head and the wand up into the troll's nose. Oh, and then we get to the epic Ron Weasley Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> <laughs> he says it right. Thank God. Thank God. And that just really goes to prove, I think, frankly, that it doesn't matter nearly as much how you say it as it is like how you say it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's that he is like under pressure and he knows that people are going to get hurt if he doesn't do this right. It doesn't matter how the words come out. He's doing that spell right. I mean, I think that's why he did it right, though. I think I think the words came out right because he, in classes, maybe he isn't paying attention or he's being silly. Or, or he doesn't want to do what Hermione's telling yeah, him to do. Yeah, he's sick of his partner who's right there and obviously doing it correctly. I think that's why he ends up being oblivious to the whole book. I mean, the whole series, but also great. He does it correctly and he saves people's lives when it counts. And especially when it when it's Hermione. I have noticed in this book a couple times something that I'm not sure if it carries into the sequels, but a couple times in this book, there's point of view statements that are outside of Harry. Like yeah. this one, Ron pulled out his wand, not knowing what he was going to do. He heard himself cry the first spell that came into his head. That's a point of view statement because we shouldn't know what characters are thinking unless there are point of view characters. So Throughout most of the series, Harry is almost always the point of view character, with the exception of Dudley, um, Vernon Dursley in chapter one, and just occasional glimpses like this one into other characters' state of minds. Yeah, this line I actually yeah. read incorrectly the first time I read it, because I sort of automatically read it still as Harry, as in like Harry not knowing what he was going to do. He heard himself cry, and I was like, wait, that's not himself, that's Ron, because I was so used to reading everything in Harry's head. Going back to what you were saying about Ron acting in the moment, I think that's also important because one of the things that we will see that constantly stays with Ron throughout the series is he's in the shadow of all these brothers. And I think that when he's in class, he's constantly worried, am I going to be as good as Charlie? Am I going to be as good as Bill? Am I going to be as good as Percy? Yada, yada, yada. And I think that it's only when he gets those moments that he doesn't have time to doubt himself and his abilities that he's able to really achieve everything he's capable of. Like he's his own, he's his own greatest impediment to his success. That happens throughout the entire series. And really specific example is when he's trying out for keeper of the Quidditch Mm -hmm. team. Like he is his own worst enemy. Yeah when Ron isn't worried about everything that his brothers have done, he's incredible. He knocks out that fucking troll. And that is legendary. So then the teachers come running in. That sucks. Oops. We're not supposed to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's Snape, Quirrell, and McGonagall. Pretty much as bad as it gets. You know, I'm a Hufflepuff. And I feel like if Professor Sprout caught you doing something really bad, she would just kindly explain to you why what you did was wrong, send you on your way, and never mention it to anyone. You know, Snape is just the scariest and the worst, so if he doesn't like you, he's going to punish you beyond belief. And McGonagall has such a strong sense of 
what is right and wrong, she's going to punish you beyond belief. Oh, she's Just, mad. She, um, oh, yeah. a cold fury in her voice. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah, and then Quirrell is, you know, we know now, working with Voldemort. So obviously he's not a great one to see either, although he, he does almost nothing in this part. But Professor McGonagall, very economically, if you ask me, deducts five points for Hermione and awards Ron <laughs> and Harry each five points. Like, there's not infinity points to go around. The thing that's always tripped me up about this chapter, and this is something that I definitely could figure out as a kid, is that Hermione doesn't have to lie here. It's easy enough to say, we got in a fight. You know, like a teacher's not going to be like, oh, like, let's fucking talk about it. Like, no, like we got in a fight. They knew I was in the bathroom because I was upset and they, they felt responsible. So they came to find me. That story makes everyone look better than her fucking bullshit story about how she went to go fight the fucking troll. But she doesn't, she doesn't know that, first of all. Right. I'm, I'm sure that it's pretty obvious, but she has not spoken to these people that aren't really her friends to figure out whether that's really the case. And she's got about a second to figure out some story to tell. So I'm sure it's easier, honestly, in that moment to make up that story because either way, she really is in trouble because she's been missing class or being upset. You know, she's, she chose to be on her own during that time. Well, and let's not forget, too, one of the most iconic lines of the book, the very last part of the chapter is, well, I'm sure you already used this as the line for the chapter, but, but from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. I've never had anything on that level, but I've had certain things that I've experienced in my life with people that weren't necessarily friends, but from the moment that it happens, you have that connection. She doesn't necessarily know they're going to be best friends at this point, but I think she knows they're going to be at least different than they were. And I think that's the reason that she covers for them. Yeah, it is kind of like her, in a weird way that doesn't make sense to an adult, doing them a solid. And so, yeah, and now we're kind of even. Sorry that I was a brat, but here I am not being a brat. And probably showing, she probably didn't mean this or think about it, out loud, but this shows that yes, she can be um, intrusive and a know-it-all, but that when it really comes down to it, that she's there for people, whether they deserve it or not, and that she understands, even though she says the opposite, she understands that people are more important than her classes, and she quick, very quickly goes to that, and I think that's why that right there is why she's in Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. Better be Gryffindor. (laughs) You know, it's just an event that makes you automatic ride or die. That's just what it is. They've become ride or die. And that's (laughs) one of my favorite, like the image of them together at the the end of this chapter is just so beautiful to me. It says, then none of them looking at each other. They all said (laughs) thanks and hurried off to get plates. Just (laughs) the image of these three people who have been through this big thing, but still don't understand what they're going to be to each other. And they just don't even look at each other in the eyes, say thanks, and then run off. It's just, I just love it. So good. When the first time you read it, you don't realize what they're going to be to you. Because Mm -hmm. reading it, it sounds like they're friends, but you don't realize these three characters are going to be part of your life. And by the fact of how beloved the series is, there are tons of people that have incredible connections to these three characters. And this is the moment that it happens. 
JK did that on purpose. Her, one of her biggest themes in these books is friendship and they do it in such a sentimental and silly way in the movies. And I hate it, but in the books, it's so strong. You feel this sense that friendship really can get you through anything. And this is where it all starts. That is a great place to end this episode. You guys got some stuff to plug? By now, I think 95% of the United States has seen Tiger King. <laughs> um, so I am not going to plug that directly, although it's amazing and everyone should watch it. What I am going to plug, though, is there's a documentary on HBO called McMillions. It's about how one guy basically scammed the Monopoly or the uh, McDonald's Monopoly game for like 20 years. There was never a legitimate big, big prize winner. It was one guy that fixed the entire thing. It is absolutely incredible and worth listening, worth watching. I just finished reading last week The Hunger Games for the first time. So I know I'm not plugging anything new to anyone. I'm way behind the times. <laughs> um, but it was excellent. So if by now you have not read, I, I just read the first book of it. If you've not read the first one and I've heard, ugh. Unfortunately, I've heard some spoilers and some unfortunate things from the later books, but I still highly recommend reading it. This week, I'm going to plug That's What I'm Tolkien About podcast because Mary Clay's not here and I am on this week's episode. It just came out yesterday. That will be true in a week when this comes out. So <laughs> we talk about the final chapter of the two towers, the choices of master Samwise. We're in Shalab's lair talking about what the fuck is Sam gonna do? <laughs> so if you have not listened to that podcast, you better catch up because we're about to dive right in. Now Mary Clay gets to read the return of the king. And I'm so excited. Um, also, follow me on Instagram at your girl of the world. Why? A girl of the world. What does it mean? I don't know. Do I like YA books? Yes. Do I travel around the world? Yes. Not right now. Uh, uh, stay the fuck at home. All you guys, stay the fuck at home. Andrew, stay the fuck at home. Mary Peyton, stay the fuck at home. Yes, ma'am. Aye, aye, Kevin. The Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Technical support from Sean Watson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at restrictedsectionpod or shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. <laughs> Don't put that in the episode. <laughs> I won't.